Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Throwback Thursday. Okay. We're back with another Throwback Thursday episode. Today, we're throwing it back to April 12th of 2021 when Frank Turner was our guest. He and Chris discussed the fan favorite single, Recovery. What a song. What a dude. I'm not going to hold you up today with some big, long intro. I would just politely remind you all to check out ChrisDemakes.com if you're interested in supporting the show, because we depend on the support of listeners like you to keep bringing you awesome episodes like this one. All right. So here you go. We're throwing it back to episode 46. Frank Turner discusses his song, Recovery. Blacking in and out in a strange flat in East London Somebody I don't really know just gave me something to help settle me down And to stop me from always thinking about you And you know your life is heading in a questionable direction Hey music fans, we got a good one lined up for you. Today's guest is singer-songwriter Frank Turner from Me and Stoke, Hampshire, England. And we break down his 2013 hit, Recovery, from the album Tape Deck Heart. Frank takes us through a play-by-play behind the song's inspiration and how it was called from a very dark moment in his life. We talk about some of his favorite singer-songwriters whose storytelling have influenced Frank's own work. He shares a really cool story of being on tour for months on end in America, only to return home to England and find that recovery, unbeknownst to him, roaring up the English radio charts. And who knew that Frank dabbled in botany and has a bit of a green thumb? Prior to this, I didn't. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around for some fun. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Frank uh, hails from uh, Meanstoke, which I, I had the correct pronunciation the first time uh, before we started rolling you, here. You nailed it. And that's in Hampshire, England. And, uh, you know, Frank, I had heard, you know, because Less Than Jake's done a ton of touring, as you know, over in the UK. Yeah, it's yeah. like our, our home away from home. Uh, I had certainly heard of your post-hardcore band Million Dead. But I yeah. didn't realize you were in it until I started researching for this episode, and I went back, and oh. Million Dead wasn't a small band. I mean, you guys were out there, <laughs> you know? We, you, were... you know, thank you. I mean, Million Dead, I, I'm, I'm fiercely proud of Million Dead. Um, we got to a point, I think we once played to 800 people at a headline show, and we kind of thought we were the clash at that point, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, <laughs> and we, but we never really toured outside the UK. We did a handful of shows in Europe, and we did a couple of showcases in the States. But um, it's it's a shame to me, looking back, that we didn't we didn't really know how to tour outside the UK. Um, and having now done it, it's not the hardest thing to get going. Um, and I wish we'd done more of that, but the band didn't last that long. So... 
it's a shame. But thank you. Well, no, I went back. I saw you guys had done done some festivals, and and you definitely had yeah. uh, you had your pockets of fans. And there's there's many bands that would have uh, given their left leg to to do what you guys accomplished. <laughs> well, you know, that's true. That's true. The, the band split up in 2005, and yeah. you know, I I had read online, and and I, I want to get this actual uh, f- actually from you that uh, around this time <laughs> you had heard uh, uh, Springsteen's Nebraska, and it kind of singer songwriter kind of changed your 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 thinking of where you wanted to go career-wise yeah i mean that's that's a that's a kind of very condensed version of the story that seems to have taken root on um, the internet in various places and it's not untrue but it wasn't just that record it was a whole selection of stuff i was playing in a kind of hardcore band i was touring with other hardcore bands and you reach a point where you can't then listen to hardcore when you're lying in your bunk at the end of the night on the tour bus or whatever because you'd lose <laughs> your mind or at least i would um and yeah. you know um i was banging to the first cat and crows record when i was a kid and weezer and stuff like that but had then gone down the rabbit hole of being obsessed with hardcore basically uh, you know uh, and i i sort of i i started branching out in my listening and there was a few things that i stumbled across and springsteen nebraska is one of them prior to that my knowledge of springsteen was that he was the guy in the white t-shirt and the blue jeans singing about america <laughs> and it didn't didn't grab me um in any way uh, and i wasn't i wasn't really aware of the depth to his career at all sure um my parents weren't really into any kind of modern music. So my entire knowledge of modern music was sort of self-created. The first band I fell in love with was Iron Maiden. And I had this, uh, by the time I reached my early 20s, I could have I could have literally listed you every single Sick of It All record in order. And I couldn't, I don't think I'd ever heard a Bob Dylan song. Um, do you know right. what I mean? So I had this kind of weird topsy-turvy thing anyway. So I got into kind of early Dylan. I got into Springsteen, Nebraska. The Johnny Cash American recording series was quite a useful gateway for me because he covered stuff like Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden and that kind of thing so that was a way of 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 listening into that world and i guess the thing is for me and to pick an example from nebraska like a song like state trooper state trooper is heavy as fuck do you know what i mean that's and, mm-hmm. and like it's heavy in a way that doesn't involve taking your shirt off and screaming at the front row and having a shaved head and tattoos and kind of sweat and testosterone it's heavy in a very different way it's emotionally heavy That was a big reveal to me in my early 20s. Um, and when Million Dead broke up, the other thing that had happened, of course, is that the band didn't end particularly well. It was a very long time ago now, so I can talk about it with a degree of detachment. But at the time, I felt pretty burned by the whole thing. Um, and I sort of felt like I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just do another hardcore band. Um, I didn't want to be in a band full stop at the time because I felt like, again, I'm old enough now to kind of see that it was more nuanced than this, but at the time I felt like I'd been let down by other people with the band breaking up. And and it was like, what can I do that's just me under my own steam? I don't have to depend on other people that's going to be different. And I had an acoustic guitar. I used to play acoustic guitar on beach holidays with my sister and sing Weezer songs and Cat and Crow songs and stuff like that. Uh, soul Asylum, quite a lot of Soul Asylum, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I just, and I think before Million Dead broke up, I'd done a handful of kind of like, uh, I did like a benefit show at one time. Somebody asked me to play and the whole band couldn't play. So I did a solo set and I kind of enjoyed it. And, and it was, I just thought I'd give it a shot. It was interesting. Everyone thought I'd lost my mind at the time. As you and I both know, the, the, the pathway of kind of being in a punk band, then making an acoustic record is reasonably well established these days. Back in 2005, pretty much the only people who'd done that were Chuck Reagan and Tim Barry. Um, sure. And and it was like, 
I, when I told my friends and indeed like the sort of the music industry people who I knew who'd worked with Billy and Dead that I was now going to go and make solo acoustic folk music, people genuinely thought I'd gone crazy. They were just like, <laughs> what well, the fuck well, is wrong with you? you? I'm going to tell you the reason I brought it up, where you came from and, and, and how you did this change. A lot of hardcore singers, you know, they're kind of one trick ponies. They, they just, they scream and they, they scream and that's their Man, thing. I'm on tenterhooks for Rick to life solo acoustic record. I can't wait. It's going to, it's going to be incredible. But it just shows the depth of you as an artist. And, and I mean that with sincerity. Well, and, and I just want to say something real quick. I'm going to dive into the song of uh, Frank uh, sure. and I are going to break down recovery today. Um, hmm. You know, my producer, Chris was recently asked, I, I believe it was in our Facebook group, you know, does Chris meaning me, uh, does he really love, he says he loves all these songs that, that he analyzes you know and i'm i don't know 40 episodes deep or something now in this podcast and i truly do i do love every song not equally uh, and, I, and some of the songs i haven't <laughs> some of the songs i didn't even really like or love coming into it but when i get into the psyche of the artist and we start breaking it down and i learn the inspiration of the song i have mm. grown to love them all in their own right sure. but i gotta say this song just the first time i ever heard it it was goosebumps Ab, I love this song, Frank, and I uh, don't you. recall if you remember meeting me. Probably not, because I was introduced uh, to you through Fat Mike backstage <laughs> at a festival <laughs> probably seven years in, ago. And in, uh, in which case, all bets are off. Do you know what I mean? I think I think that there is a legal clause somewhere that if you, if your way of knowing someone is Fat Mike, then you're not like liable for any <laughs> anything ever. Um, I do remember meeting you because I know I know Vinny as well, right? So we, sure, we, yeah. But no, I I. I I remember being, uh, for lack of a better word, a little starstruck because I had already heard this song. And this this song to mm. me is just, I love it. So um, getting into this one, I have so much to talk about. This particular tune, um, the record that you had done, uh, the previous album was England, uh, Keep My Bones. And that came out in yeah. June of June of 2011, and then of course, uh, recovery is on tape deck. Heart that was released in April of 2013. Was yeah. this song written specifically for tape deck? Heart is it something you had lying around, and uh, just um, kind of how did it happen? Generally speaking, I don't sort of I don't do masses in the way of kind of like allocating songs to different stockpiles. Generally speaking, I just kind of write and then look at what I've got and it becomes a record and what the theme and the feel of the record is is dictated by what the material is you know what I mean there's mm -hmm. been exceptions to that I did a history record called No Man's Land and obviously the songs for that were quite specific so they went over there but with this one I, I, I finished Inca Keep My Bones Inca Bones was kind of a breakthrough record for me in many ways internationally um, it was a record it was my first gold record it was the first uh, time I ever headlined an arena show uh, in 2012 which was big news and I, at that point I also I signed a deal to license my music to to major labels. I remain signed to XMR Recordings, but we worked through some majors internationally. And it was just this moment of kind of like arrival, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, I mean, I, again, I try not to be too directed in my writing. I don't want to like plan what to write about and then write about it. I like to just kind of let it come and then go, oh, that was interesting after the event. But the one thing I would say is that like Inky My Bones was quite bombastically themed. It was about death and it was about national identity. And that's quite sort of grandiose in its way. And at this moment in time when that had blown up and suddenly there was this much, much bigger audience interested in what I was doing, it struck me that it would be interesting to go in a different direction sort of in terms of scale of ambition and scope and subject matter at that precise moment and not to try and write an even more grandiose record 
but to do the opposite and to go inwards you know and to try and write something really really small and and personal and intense and that was of course aided by the fact that I would gone through and, and all of this is related. I'd gone through a pretty kind of unpleasant breakup at around that period of time. Um, I had a long-term partner. I'm not sure that we were destined to spend the rest of our lives together anyway. But nevertheless, the fact of things becoming much more successful for me did no favours for our relationship in a way that I'm sure you can know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> You'd think it would, and, but it doesn't. <laughs> right. And, and um, you know, so... And, and then the, the final part of that puzzle is that, like, there's a lot of great breakup records in the world, right? Um, the one that immediately springs to mind for me would be August and Everything After by The Crows. But um, mm -hmm. almost all of them are written from the point of view of the victim. You know what I mean? It's like, I've, I'm suffering. Someone has done me wrong. My life is awful because yes. I got dumped kind of thing. And that's, that's a rich scene for songwriting, let's be honest. It's because it's a very oh, emotional yeah. experience. But at the same time, it struck me that there's not that many breakup records written from the point of view of the perpetrator. Do you know what I mean? And it was huh. like... And, and and I was the perpetrator in this situation and I fucked it up. I fucked it up profoundly and it was my fault and I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of and ended up hurting somebody I cared about and, and in this really, really shitty situation that was entirely self-created. And I started writing about that stuff anyway because that's what was happening to me emotionally at the time and my emotional experiences tend to end up in songs. But it just... I just thought it'd be kind of interesting. What if there was a breakup record that was written by the bad guy? And that was that was kind of where my head was at, was like, let's do something that's like... And, and I had this idea of like, let's make this record as intense and impersonal and as unforgiving to myself as I possibly mm -hmm. can. You know, yeah. um, there's a song on the record called Plain Sailing Weather and it's like, give me one fine day of Plain Sailing Weather, I can fuck up anything. And that's an entire song about being an asshole. And it's a very strange experience to have people sing that song back at me live because I'm like... <laughs> Are you are you agreeing or are you sympathizing? Because yeah. hmm, yeah. It's, you know what I mean. That's there's different things going on here. But yeah, so it was it was um that that was the kind of general kind of emotional milieu that I was in. I was trying to write about that kind of stuff, and um, I think from memory that recovery was one of the first songs that I finished for the record. And uh, like a lot of my songs, the initial sparking off point was a kind of a snapshot image or experience which was very real which is that not long after we'd broken up i feel like this is long enough now that now i go that i can be completely true in this <laughs> truthful in this story Let, let's hear it i i ended up going to a birthday party of a model right <laughs> in uh in a warehouse in fashionable east london you which cheeky is like twat. well the thing is that is not a kind of social environment in which I'd ever really been before or since, because it's really not the kind of shit that I do. Um, but I, ended, I was recently single, I was recently successful, and it was I got an invite, and I was like, ah, fuck it, let's go. Um, and I ended up over there, and at the time, there was this new drug doing the rounds called methadrone, which was a kind of plant food, but it was basically like very, very cheap coke, um, and which, which, which put you in a really emotionally weird situation when you were coming down as well. Um, I once took some and then in the following morning watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and burst into tears when the king arrives at the end and it's Sean Connery. I will not allow this wedding to proceed. My lord. Unless I'm allowed to give the bride away. You look radiant, cousin. No. So it's a strange experience. And, um, but anyway, I've been at this party at this model's house and it had all been very fucked up and like i was really uncomfortable i don't like 
that sort of scene. I've never really been cool. I didn't want to become cool, and and I was obviously not in a particularly settled emotional place. And and I met and I did that classic thing of making a phone call <laughs> towards the end of the night slash beginning of the morning um, <laughs> to my to my recent ex to kind of go, oh, I fucked it all up. I'm a complete asshole. And she was just like, I don't really know what you want me to say at this point but you should let me go back to sleep kind of vibe and and that was the that's the first verse of the song blacking in and out in a strange flat in east london wow uh, okay, okay i, I want to get into the lyrics here in a moment but yeah i, I sure. just I, I do have to say and, and and sometimes i i feel like i can be self-deprecating against myself on the show and i never want to come off as that and i don't and i don't mean it uh uh like i'm patronizing you either but there's something about the singer songwriters that can tell this story of imagery through the lyrics that I've always admired. I mean, you've seen it. We've been in, a, in an Irish pub and there's some bloke in the corner that's strumming with a, with a tip jar out. Nobody knows who this guy is, but you're just immersed. You, you've had a couple of pints right. and you're listening to this guy tell a story and you're like, wow, this is great. And just totally. these just these lyrics and what you do here, uh, I, I strive to be able to write a song with this kind of imagery. It just tells a story from, from the first lyric. I'm hooked. I'm hooked by well, what is going you. on here, and and now that I'm I'm hearing the story, it's even becoming more interesting. And and I'd like to get into this uh, <laughs> to this first verse now that you were just, you were just sure. setting up. Uh, the song's three minutes and twenty eight seconds, and it, it just starts out with uh, with you and the guitar blacking in and out in a strange flat in East London. Somebody I don't really know just gave me something to help settle me down and to stop me from always thinking about you and the you is the person you were uh, bothering on the phone at yeah. four in the morning <laughs> yes exactly exactly um uh and 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 i'm not sure that it settled me down that wouldn't necessarily be the right way of putting it but uh I, you know and, and the song obviously goes to other places and uses other other imagery and other events and all the rest of it but like i often find that a, a snapshot moment really works i am I, I should preface what i'm about to say by saying that there is no universe in which i am or ever will compare myself to shane mcgowan but like you know that I'm, I'm a, such a huge fan of the opening lines of a song because that's the moment when you, as a listener, decide whether or not you're paying attention. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Christmas Eve babe in the drunk tank. It's like, oh, okay, I'm listening. Like, <laughs> I get it. what the fuck? Yeah, and it's like, and similarly, I don't know if you're familiar with the band AJJ out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they used not. to be called and They used to be called Andrew Jackson Jihad. They changed oh, their name. Oh, of, of course, obviously. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they yeah, for obvious reasons. Sean from AJJ is a dear, dear friend of mine, and he's one of my very favorite writers. And what I love about him is his mastery of the opening line in a slightly different way. But I mean, a man who can write a song that opens with the line, I want to fuck the devil in his ass. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> tell me more, sir. Do you know what I mean? Let me. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, let me, hold on. Let me just make myself a cup of tea and settle down somewhere. And then we can really get into this shit because I need to know what it is you're about to say. Um so so yeah so you know I, I I'm I'm very kind of you to say like I, I wanted to start the song with something that was uh, would set the scene and be arresting. I love it, and as I was researching the song, I I saw uh, you on Letterman. Uh, the performance was, oh, yeah. was no, the, yeah. I mean that's I. I would have loved to have been on David Letterman. Congratulations! That's like the, one of the top tier Thank things you. you could you could ever oh, do in this in this. You know, it's it is it is of a tier that English people know what it is. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh like, yeah, no, but and then yeah. of course I I got down the YouTube uh, uh, line of of festivals you you had played live with this song and uh, just that you come out and you just strum that chord and you start singing and the whole crowd just lights up because that line is just it's just so great and everyone can relate. 
This song's about getting better. This song's called Recovery. Walking in and out in a strange flat in East London. Somebody I don't really know just gave me something to help settle me down, to stop me from always thinking about you. And you know your life is heading in a questionable direction when you're up for days of strangers and you can't remember anything except the way We get into the next half of the verse. I love how this song builds, and I want to get into Rich Costi in a bit and his production, oh, yeah. uh, what Rich <laughs> brought to this, because yeah, this yeah, song, sure. this song just keeps building, and there's just such little pieces of ear candy that floating in and out. Just the subtle hi-hat comes in, and the lyric is, and you know your life is heading in a questionable direction when you're up for days with strangers and you can't remember anything except the way you sounded when you told me you didn't know what I should do. Those are just a, a continuation of where you were at with, with that night. Yeah, it's a continuation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like, um, I, I can thankfully speak from the other end of the of the valley of this, but like I had a pretty long kind of era of substance abuse in my life. And uh, in that period of time, staying up for days was a thing that I would do quite often. You know, you go out for a night and you, you go out for a Friday night and you get home on Sunday evening um, and you haven't been to bed since. And you can't, you've no idea who the people you're hanging out with in the interim were because they were generally whoever it was who wanted to still be drinking and doing drugs at nine o'clock in the morning uh, or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and, and it's, it's a shitty way to live. And, and I speak from experience in saying that. So um, that's, but yeah, up for days with strangers. Like that was the thing. It was like, I would do that all the time. And in that kind of weird social and chemical situation, you quite often spill your guts to people that you don't know. And, right. and I'm pretty sure at that period of time, I was I was being pretty boring about my ex to most of the people who I encountered. Well, and, and as so, you know, the, the, the more popular that uh, you get, not that you get personally, but the more popular that people perceive you as, oh, Frank Turner's here. Let's hang out, you know? And, and, right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You start hanging out at the pub at four in the afternoon on Friday. Next thing you know, it's uh, 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. And, and, and I, I, I get that. I love the yeah. end of this verse because... Everything so far is just kind of this singer-songwriter, just this thing, and then this big snare fill comes in. You know what I should do? It's a long road up to I wrote my notes here. I just put feel good party time because when this chorus hits, <laughs> the tambourine's there, the piano's mm. there, and it's just it's goosebump city, man. There's just something Thank about you. I'm always I've always been a sucker, and it's interesting because I had read that you were a huge fan of Iron Maiden, and uh, first record you ever owned was Killers. You talked about Maiden already. Yeah, it's the 40th anniversary of the release of Killers today. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So there you I, go. I didn't yeah. know that, but uh, we could talk about metal in a whole other podcast. For uh, we'll save that. We'll <laughs> save, save that for the future. But uh, yeah. what I was getting at is, I'm a sucker for feel good rock and and, and oh, rock yeah. and roll of, of any kind. And this chorus is just that. The energy of this, it just it just really lifts. Um, it's, yeah. And the, the chorus is, it's a long road up to recovery from here, a long way back to the light, a long road up to recovery from here, a long way to making it right. Right. And I think this is the thing for me, like I, I, I'm a I'm addicted to choruses. Let's say that. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like a, there's nothing I love in life more than just a chorus that punches you in the face. Yeah. And uh, and, and and thematically, not always every songs can be different. But like a lot of the time for me, the purpose of a chorus, lyrically speaking, is, is, is your central statement. It's what are you trying to say with this song? What is your mm -hmm. purpose here? Why are you trying to make people listen to what you're saying? And, you know, that is the thing is like that that, that whole scenario that I was explaining is, was was a low point. You know, and and the only good thing to be saying about hitting the bottom is that the only way is up. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, 
that's not to say that you automatically go up from there, but it's like you can at the very least kind of cast your gaze in the right direction. And that was, I think, the sort of feeling I was having at that point is it was just like, I don't want to be this. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be this person sitting in this horrible flat doing plant food drugs and <laughs> um, <laughs> cry, crying about my ex-girlfriend or whatever it might be. It's like I've got to find a way of doing something else uh, or just behaving in a different way or whatever. And you're also realizing, though, that the line is a long way to making it right. You're saying, damn, I, you know, I'm in the thick of this. Oh, thing. yeah. Well, this goes to what we were saying about being the bad guy. It's a record about being the bad guy. It's like, it's not, I'm not down here because somebody's done this to me. I did this to myself. You know, it's entirely my fault that I'm sitting in this kind of pit of misery and despair and blah, blah, blah. And that to me me is worse because I've done that. I've been the one that that, that messed things up and then no one can beat me up as hard as I can. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, completely. It's just like, oh, you you think, just uh, there there is what I want to say to people. It's like, you've got a problem with me. Oh, let me tell you, I can beat you on that. Like I am the (laughs) Olympic champion of having a problem with me. But anyway, so it's interesting you mentioned the arrangement stuff. I mean, going to talking towards working with Rich Costi. So what was interesting about this record for me was the first time that I was like hardcore produced as an artist. Yes. The four records I made before this were made with friends, generally speaking. And I'm pretty um, forthright in my opinions about arrangement and that kind of thing. Um, I also, you know, by this point, the Sleeping Souls, my band, were an established unit. We'd made two records together prior to this. We'd done a shit ton of rehearsals for this recording session. We'd worked out a lot of the arrangements. So I would say probably like, I'd say 50% of the arrangement ideas were mine. The next 40% were from the band. The last 10% were from Rich. But in oh, a wow. way, it's that last 10% that makes the killer difference. Do you know what I mean? So like, for example, that you're funny that you should mention the tambourine because Rich is obsessed with percussion um, <laughs> in, a, in, in a way that I now am having worked with him, but wasn't before. I never really knew any bands that had like tambourine players or whatever when I was a kid. So I just never really thought about it. And yeah. I remember kind of jamming that chorus and it was cool and it was okay. And I was like, oh, it needs to kind of groove a bit more. And Rich was like, just you wait, sunshine. Um, and then <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he made Nigel, my drummer at the time, play like eight percussion tracks all the way through the whole thing, like shaker, two tights, tambourine, whatever the fuck. And just blending all of that in just brought it together. But like, you know, the the piano riff is a beautiful thing. That oh, it's great. started as... It started as a as a, a little just a kind of trill on the guitar that I was mm-hmm. doing because I tend to write the songs just focus on guitar first and then take them to the band. And Matt, my piano player, took that little trill and turned it into the a much more developed part as it currently is. Also, in traditional Matt style, he's trying to play about eighteen things at the same time, so he's playing organ and piano and blah blah blah. We um, all have one of the we we all have one of those in our band. Yeah, there was a, there was one tour where Matt, Matt's Empire of Madness, because he's got a little kind of keyboard station at the back of the stage, he suddenly yeah. turned around and it was like he had a mandolin and a guitar and a floor tom and like three keyboards and all this shit. And it was like, dude, chill the fuck out. Um, you need another him. trailer for him. all your shit. Right, exactly. The Matt Nazir truck. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and it, I mean, I have to say that one of the things I love about the arrangement of this song is that like it feels like us as a band firing all cylinders. I do remember sitting around with Matt who plays piano and Ben who plays electric guitar and me with an acoustic guitar and we played that chorus around 
kind of swapping parts with each other. Do you know what I mean? So like one yes. of us playing the low chords, one of us playing the high chords, one was playing kind of a middle part. And then it was like, cool, now, you know, pass your part to the left almost. Do you know what I mean? And just doing that for ages until we had what felt like the fullest arrangement that we could because I want it to be a big chorus. So as it transpires, Ben's holding down the bottom end with some thick, chunky electric chords. I've kind of got the middle with the acoustic stuff and Matt's up on the top of the piano. And it just, it feels like a, 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 a well-built building. But then I remember you and the way you Hey, don't go anywhere. We got part two of this conversation with Frank Turner after a few words from our sponsors. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one hit thunder or were nothing more than a one hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Match. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. Cause I said I loved you so many times that the words kind of die in my mouth. And now, back to the show. You know, again, you talked about heavy at the top of the episode. This chorus is, it's not heavy in the sense of a hardcore or a heavy metal band, but just how big it is compared to the beginning <laughs> of the track. You know, it just swells there. For the listeners, uh, Rich Costi, uh, wow, he, he's got a, a great resume here. He's worked with Muse, Biffy Clyro. Uh, he mixed the Foo Fighters, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace. And, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring him up because I always like to, to get into arrangements. And it sounds like yeah. this, arra- this arrangement, to this track was was pretty much uh, done when you brought it to Rich. He he did that extra ten percent, which I always talk about in this show. The difference between <laughs> yeah. a, a good song and a great song is that ten percent, and a lot oh, of times totally. that, a lot of times it has to do with the producer. Up to this point of the fir- through the first chorus, and we're going to get to the second verse here in a moment. Up to this point, did anything change with Rich, or was was this how the song was written? I, I th- I'm pretty sure that's how the song was written. I mean, the, Rich didn't really get into kind of like that much structure or lyrics or anything with this particular song there were songs okay. on the record where he did yeah. um actually funnily enough i am working with rich on a new record right now i mean i said it's awesome. a very early days but we're, we're we're going back into that again i mean one of the other things as well that rich does it and as i'm remembering working with him again now his attention to detail as, a, as an engineer as a recording engineer is second to none and it, like in a way that is actually like kind of creepy sometimes do you know what i mean <laughs> you'll do it t- you'll do a take where like four people are playing and he'll stop you and he'll go Frank, your G-string is quarter of a tone sharp. And you're like... <laughs> How do you hear that? Ex- excuse me? Um, and he's like... And, and so I go to tune it, and he goes, no, 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 don't tune it. Just pull the string once. And you go... Eh, and he goes, do another take. And you're like, what 
the fuck just happened? But like, you know, he's, he's an incredible producer. I can't say enough good things about him in terms of, you know, saying all the tones and all the rest of it. I mean, there, yeah. there are parts of this song which you did definitely add to. I don't want to um, detract in that in any way. Um, well, I think, uh, I, think, in, I, think, I think we're going to get to that as we go because I got right. a lot of notes. Okay. I, I think of what you're sure. talking about because there's so much <laughs> ear candy. And I, and I listened to this song uh, in, in headphones a couple times last night and I was just blown away by the production. We get into the second verse. And before we do this, the first chorus... <laughs> the second and third chorus of the song, there's these ooze, vocal ooze going on. Yeah. Are they there in the first chorus, but they're mixed really, really, really low, or are they not there at all? I can't tell if they're there. They're not there at all in the first chorus, but that, funnily enough, is very much a thing that Rich added to the song. Okay, okay. Um, I didn't know if they were know. tucked in, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a moment. The second verse here, yeah. uh, and I've been waking in the morning just like every other day, and just like every boring blues song, I get swallowed by the pain, and so I fumble for your figure in the darkness just to make it go away. But you're not lying there any longer, and I know that. That's my fault, so I've been pounding on the floor. And I've been crawling up the walls and I've been dipping in my darkness for serotonin boosters, cider, and some kind of smelling salts. And <laughs> I'm going to have you set that up. And it's, that last line is, is awesome. Uh, I'm going to have you. you set that up in a second. But I wrote here in my notes that the band comes in here. It, it's not heavy like the chorus, you know, but, but the mm. band is. The, the drums are playing. It's not just acoustic guitar. The whole band's in. I notice yeah. often, the, and, and I'm wondering if this is a rich thing, rich costy production. I noticed it almost sounds like a hollow body of Gretsch or something and the left speaker doing this little counter melody uh, on the guitar. Waking in the morning just like every other day and just like every boring blues song I get swallowed by the pain and so I fumble for your figure in the darkness just to make it go away. But you're the light Whose part was that? That's really cool. That's Ben's part, and Ben, um, who plays guitar in my band, is is a is he's an amazing guy. What I love about Ben is that he thinks about guitar in a way that I totally don't. So, for example, what not so much necessarily with this song, but a lot of the time, what will happen is I'll demo up a, a song that I've written with kind of like some guitar ideas on them. I like I could write a lead part for my own songs, like with my eyes closed. But like Ben will write something that is just makes no sense to me the first time I hear it, and that's the strength of it. Do you know what I mean? Is it's just like yeah. I would never have come up with that, and that's why you want to be in a band with people like that. Do you know what I mean? Is to broaden the palette that you're working it's with. Such kind of a thing. it's such a cool part. I I had to write it down because it just really stuck. I I. I didn't notice it maybe the first two or three times I listened to the track and then I really mm. zoned in on it and I was like wow that just does it does something with what your melody's doing there they, they play off of each yeah. other it's really really well, interesting wh what what that also goes to which we'll come to towards the end as well we'll talk about this again but like a big part of the music of this song is about ascent right about going up um yes. and in in part that is to do with there's a guy from austin texas uh called comrade who makes music under the name possessed by paul james um mm -hmm. and it's just completely insane like all folk all country stuff i love him he's a good friend we toured together and he had a song called fathers and sons which it's i'm not saying that the song is like melodically the same or anything but like it just has this kind of like almost like an escher painting that just you know, like a constant, like Moibus strip kind of thing, where it's just always going upwards somehow. And I remember jamming that song with him and thinking, "That's really cool." And and because of the whole 
lyrical drive of the chorus about long road up to recovery and all that kind of thing uh, i wanted the song to have this kind of feeling of a sense so the main chords is just you know a um b minor a over c sharp and then d mm-hmm. and then the chorus lands on an e so it has got this kind of ascent thing going on with it but the, that that guitar part is an early um mention of an idea that comes in in the third verse uh the final verse the whole song just keeps doing what you're saying. It, it's it's right. almost like you. It's almost like you're reading my notes back to me. This song just keeps <laughs> building. Well, no, it just keeps building subtly. It's not like a huge. Oh my gosh, there's this. It just it just keeps going up in the in this ascent. I love where you scream salts on smelling salts. That scream there. <laughs> I've been crawling up the walls and I've been dipping in my darkness with serotonin boosters, cider, and some kind of smelling salts. <laughs> Just that Thank one you. scream launches that second chorus, and now as I and I, I don't know how many times I've heard this song, Frank, but when I sit down, and this is why I love love doing this podcast, I listened to this the other night probably two or three times, and I'm like, why is the second chorus sound different than the first one? I didn't know it first, and then I zoned in on those oohs. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, sure. it just ah, oh, it just makes the chorus. Now it's this extra part. It's subtle, but at the same time, they're not buried. Those oohs are. That's why I had to go back to the first chorus and say, are they buried yeah, there? Yeah. Are they there? I love the ooze in this chorus. And again, the lyric is, it's a long road up to recovery from here, a long way back to the light, a long road up to recovery from here, a long way to making it right. And then the band does these stops, this stop break into the beginning of the bridge. The lyric is, and on the first night we met, you said, well, darling, let's make a deal. And then just for a very short time, the only time in the song, the drums go halftime for this second line only. And it's, if anybody ever asks us, let's just tell them that we met in jail. The first night we met, you said, well, darling, let's make a deal. If anybody ever asks us, let's just tell them that we met in jail. And that's a story that I'm sticking to like a stony face. What a cool little turnaround there. Was that written before Rich as well? <clears throat> Uh, no, yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I'm a, I have a bit of an obsession with the bridge, right? And this goes back, and this is actually worth mentioning too at the start of the song as well. I'm, a, I'm an old school and enormous Nirvana fan, and a lot of people think about Nirvana and they talk about Quiet Loud, right? About the fact they'd have a quiet version yeah, of Loud. Yeah, It's very effective. And that's very much what's happening at the start of this song. The other thing about Kirk Bain as a writer, which less people talk about, to, the, to their shame, um, is that, in my opinion, <laughs> Kurt Cobain was the absolute all-time world emperor king of the bridge, right? If you listen to most Nirvana songs, they have a great verse, they have a great chorus, and, it's, and then they have another verse, they have another chorus, and it's like, cool, we're going well. And then it's like, the bridge is the bit that fucking sorts the sheep from the goats. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it feels like, it feels like you found the turbo inject button on, on a car or some shit. It's like, and, and you get like slammed back into your seat a little bit. If you think about a song like Francis Farmer Has a Revenge in Seattle, the bridge of that song is the yeah. reason why that song is fucking perfect is because it suddenly goes, and it's like, oh, we're in new territory. Yeah. 
and that's the thing. It's like, I mean, very broadly speaking, it's like first verse, you make a state, you, you, you set the scene. First chorus, you make your own statement. Second verse, you expand on the scene. You remake your statement. Now you get to the bridge. Now you've got to take this somewhere else. You've got to say something else. You've got to, you've got to expand on the whole story. You can't just keep kind of trucking along. You've got to take it somewhere else. So this is a true story. That is, in fact, what was said to me the first time that we met. Let's just tell people we met in jail, which... Let's be honest, is one hell of a fucking line. And even at the time, <laughs> I remember I remember saying to her, I'm fucking putting that in a song one day. Um, and and, and, and there you did. it is. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, and it's interesting. You know, at, at, at first I was almost saying after the jail part, when the, when the band kicks back in, I was like, is, is this a third verse? Which the third verse comes after this, because this is a bridge. It is a departure. But it still feels like you're still in story mode. It's not a departure in a sense of a bridge like, oh, we went to a completely different thing. I love that about this bridge. Uh, and the lyric here is, and that, uh, and that's the story that I'm sticking to. Like a stony-faced accomplice, but tonight I need to hear. Some truth if I'm ever getting through this. Yeah, you once sent me a letter that said, if you're lost at sea, close your eyes and catch the tide, my dear, and only think of me. Well, darling, now I'm sinking, and I'm as lost as lost can be, and I was hoping you could drag me up from down here towards my recovery. That's that's awesome. That whole lost Thank at you. sea that whole lost yeah. sea line. Also, also true, incidentally, there was a moment in time when um, I was... Uh, it, that was later on in the relationship, but I was, um, funnily enough, I was making the music video for a song uh, called If Ever I Stray, which is from England Keep My Bones. And the music video is me fanning about in the sea with a chair and a guitar, and it was brutally cold and an awful shitty day. I basically had to wade into the sea playing guitar about eight times, and it sucked. And um, <laughs> sort of in, in, in between takes, I was texting with my partner, and, and she sent me... Um, she was out and about somewhere and she got like a piece of chalk and wrote on a wall, like a kind of abandoned wall somewhere. She wrote, when you're lost at CCC, think of me, 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 and sent me a photo of this. And and I was like, wow, that's cool as shit. And so, and, it, but, and again, that, that kind of, uh, that fed into the song, that imagery. No, it's, it, it's awesome. Then we get into what I'm calling the musical bridge. And I love this part because it's only 12, I wrote it here, 12 seconds of relief from vocals because this you know, song this song is you're just getting hammered with information in a in a great way but yeah yeah it, yeah it's it's 12 seconds of of relief that that i think is needed here i think it's great oh and it, and it gives me a breather when we play it live it means i can go and like sort of lean against something for a bit and, and pant uh, i mean it's funny we we haven't mentioned this yet i mean like one of the things with the lyrical approach to this song was it's very kind of machine gun it's very sort of precise um yes. uh, it's very it's very dense should we say and one of the things with that to go back like that's the thing i did all the time in million dead i had a bit of a rep for doing that in million dead of being the guy it's not quite like rapping per se but it was very like and it's very rhythmically specific um and all the rest of it and um i hadn't really done that on any songs in the preceding four solo albums i've made maybe one or two but i sort of shied away from it as a stylistic approach because i didn't want to be covering the same ground that i covered in my band and it was sort of around this time that i was really starting to chill out about that kind of thinking it was like you know what Million Dead made two albums. This is my fifth album. Like, I can fucking do what I want, you know? It's yeah. like, so I kind of wrote the song in that style with this kind of very, very dense, rhythmic, poetic delivery. And actually, all credit to Rich Costi here, the, the one thing we heard back from somebody at the label kind of going, maybe there's too many words in this song. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, fuck you. And, yeah. And, <laughs> 
but but of course, thankfully, Rich actually stepped in and said, "You're out of your fucking mind." This song has exactly the right number of words. I mean, there is a lot of words, and that's why I had brought up this musical bridge. Not a lot of words in a bad way, but just these twelve seconds, and it almost sounds like some strings come in, or I don't. I couldn't tell if they're strings or if they're like an octave guitar pushed back. There's, it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a melaton strings part. Okay, okay, it's it's killer. And it's kind of like a piano solo. The piano is up a couple dB yeah. in the mix. Uh, it, it's just kind Definitely. of, it's kind of feel good. It's rocking. And then we yeah. come into a verse three where it breaks back down. It's just the tambourine and the guitar. And you come yeah. back in with, if you could just give me a sign. Yeah. Just a subtle little glimmer, some suggestion that you'd have me if I could only make me better Then I would stand a little stronger as I walk a little taller all the time. And, on the word time here, it sounds like almost, you know how you strum the strings at the headstock of a guitar and it gives that creepy, almost yeah. uh, a horror movie sound? Is that what that is? Yep, that is exactly what that is. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> a little stronger as I walk a little taller all the time. Because I know you are Which again, that's Ben's speciality. Ben is, ben is the creepy beep noise dude in the band. Like, it's so we, we fun- have moments since. Yeah, we have moments in songs where I'm like, this song needs some noise at this point, and I'm not even going to fucking try and do it because I play in a band with the king of guitar noise. So I'm just like, Ben, over to you. And he goes, and it sounds great. It's so freaking cool, man. <laughs> I, I thought that's what that was, but I, could, I couldn't really tell if it was a keyboard noise. But it just, uh, again, this song's on an ascent, and this is just another little little thing that uh, ah, that adds to it. Well, that's what I was going to say. So bring, picking that back up again, the thing, one of the things that happens here, and every Everybody's in on this. I, th- I think it was kind of my idea to try and work it out, but it was definitely a collective thing with the band. So, the as I say, the bass line, the, the, the root notes of the chords in the verse are A, B, C sharp, D. Mm-hmm. And then Tarrant, my bass player, who's a fucking genius, like and in the second half of this, rather than going back down to the A, goes up to the E. So he keeps going up, right? And then simultaneously, Ben is doing a similar thing. He's going up the scale and up the scale, but at a different kind of rate. So the two of them are kind of two different it's like kind of waveforms that sort of match every two kind of thing it's like everyone's kind of building and building and building and building and building until the massive snare drum fill on the high note i can convince you because broken people can get better if they really want to or at least that's all i have to tell myself if i am hoping to Yeah, well, and it, it, it's like a rub that works. Sometimes rubs in music don't work. And let me tell you, your bassist is insane. And on that Letterman special, he just his tone was he was just killing it. Oh yeah, when you when you guys played yeah. on Letterman, it was it was so so awesome. Uh, the second half here, the drums, the band is back in uh, because I know you are a cynic, but I think I can convince you. Yeah, because broken people can get better if they really want to. Or at least that's what I have to tell myself if I am hoping to survive. And again, here's a build. This survive, you got this long holdout, and then you get high at the end. Uh, Again, was was that (laughs) your idea? Was that something rich? Uh, I I always... No, that was my idea. I mean, I have to say, it's a funny old thing. Like, I'm now 39 years old, and I made this record 10... No, nine years ago, I made this record. And um, your vocal range changes as you get older, right? Yes. And like, when, when, when I wrote and when we recorded this song, that 
that high A was a piece of piss. It was like, yeah, fucking survive. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it at seven in the morning. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, these days now, it's it's definitely it's become a bit of a joke in the band when that bit's coming up because uh, there's a little breather halfway through that third verse. I tend to turn around to the others and kind of like sort of do this a little bit, cross yeah. myself and sort of. Let's see how this one's going to go. Because it's not just the high note. It's the high note at the end of quite a long line already, which means that your breathing's already pretty spent out by the time you get there. And it was just like, Catherine two, five. And, and like, um, because this song, was, this song was a big success for me, like I kept having to play it on like breakfast radio shows on oh, tour in America. The worst. You've got, you've got a hangover. You've got tour voice anyway. It's 7 a.m. And there's no audience to kind of bolster you up. And it's like, cool, now sing a massive long high A. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. really? And, 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 then, and you're... Much, much like the song itself, I did this to myself. Yes, and, and, <laughs> and you're having that moment as a singer and you're going, why did I write that part? Not to mention, you know, you, you had mentioned something earlier in the episode about <laughs> talking about these lyrics and having so many of them. Isn't it a grand thing when we write a song like this and then we don't realize how bad of an idea it was till we go to sing it live? And you're like, what the hell oh, did I yeah, do? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> well, this is, why, this is why playing songs in live is a good idea because as we all did before our first album, because that's what you do. You're a band, you play out and then the songs kind of make sense and then you write a bunch of shit for your second record, start touring it and go, geez, Jesus Christ, what have I done? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in the middle of that right now with my with my forthcoming next record. There's a song which I'm not actually even sure. I kind of wrote it. I'm not even sure if I can sing it once in the studio, let alone whilst playing guitar. So might have to think about that one a little bit. Well, you know, we, we get that high note here on Survive, and it just lifts for this last chorus. The high, I'm calling the ooze, ooh, the high ooh yeah. vocals are, are present here in chorus three. Again, it's a long road up to recovery from here, a long way back to the light, a long road up to recovery from here, a long way to making it right. And then it goes into this outro part. You know, this chorus is never doubled in the song. The, the main the main chorus which mm. which is kind of interesting because it's such a catchy chorus I could see that being repeated yet you go to an outro here all three lines are the same here darling sweet lover won't you help me to recover and you say that three times and then the very last line is darling sweet lover and then just you acapella you end the song and it just it just gives this personal touch like again that singer song you're speaking to the to the listener speaking to me and you say one day this will all be over it's so killer yeah. how it ends, man. Thank you. And and, and well, that that outro idea here was was that written uh, specifically for the song when you when you wrote it, or was that something yeah. you thought? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, so the the other thing that musically the song does at this point is all of the kind of ascent stuff that I've been talking about, where kind of like let's say bass lines or guitar parts run up the scale, have all been over the kind of the verse part where it goes where it starts on the A. Chorus part start is is E to D, mm -hmm. um, and thus far everyone's just been playing E to D. In the outro part, Tarrant essentially does the same thing he does in that third verse on the chorus part. So it starts on the E, then he goes to an F sharp, then he goes to a G sharp, then he goes to an A, and it's so you it's kind of reconstituted the ascent idea for one more time around in the end section, you know, which again gives it that kind of last bit of kind of blast kind of feeling. And and I guess the kind of I'm I'm not often somebody who will repeat a line that many times in one row kind of thing but it's supposed to be a plea do you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like it's supposed to be desperate it's supposed to be pleading i guess would be the word and and it, interestingly what that brings up is one, one of the things about this record which i i don't often remember as much as i should and i'm remembering now is that like it wasn't just a breakup record written from the point of view of the bad guy there was definitely an ambivalence within me at the time as to whether or not we might actually get back together at some point given another go and there's <laughs> there are parts of this 
album and particularly this song, which are very much kind of like, but if you wanted to, uh, you know, yeah. go for a drink sometime <laughs> um, and see where we're at, uh, that would the, be cool. Um, the, the, and glimmer, of course, the glimmer of hope in your mind only. Exactly. She told me to go fuck myself. And yeah. so she should have done. Um, <laughs> well, uh, no. And I, I love this last line because this could mean so many things, Frank. One day this will all be over. So you're basically saying to the listener, to yourself, that I'm still in, the, in this shit here. One day this is going to be over, and that day is not right now. You know, And it right. also means one, one day this will all be over. Like, maybe I'll be back together with her. Right, or maybe we'll be free and clear and, and not calling each other at 4 o'clock in the morning. And yeah. actually, you know, um, we do, she and I, we chat maybe once a year kind of thing these days, and she's doing well, and there's no bad blood between us at this point nine years later. So that's a good thing to be able to say, and we're both happily settled with other people, and hooray for, for, for that. But um, Good for you. Yeah, it, it, there's definitely, a, yeah, there was a, there's a kind of ambiguity at the end there, which was intentional. Let me tell you one more story about this song, which I think is worth throwing in here. So we finished the song, recorded it, label said this could be first single, I was like, yeah, sweet, that works for me. And we put it out there. And it, it uh, that was a point in my career where it really felt like I couldn't make any wrong steps. Like everything I put out, people got really excited about it. And that was really cool. So we'd had this big album in my bones. What's coming next? Here's recovery. Everyone went, fucking A. But um, in the time when it first came out, I was in the States, like, because this was a period of my time in my career when everyone was very keen on me being in America all the time because it's a huge market and blah, blah, blah. So we were out in America where my career was not as far along as it was in the UK at the time. In the UK, we were kind of doing large theatres or small arenas kind of thing. Mm -hmm. In the States, we were still kind of doing the grunt work, of, of which I am proud and which I enjoyed doing. Yeah. But so we did like three months or something in the States touring, just playing fucking every state every town playing at 500 people a night doing two breakfast radio shows doing an evening in store really doing the work you know what i mean but during this whole period of time we were out of the uk and now the song was big in the uk i remember a friend of mine texting me and saying that he'd been driving in england and he changed through he'd cycled through three radio stations and that song had been on every single fucking one of them and he like texted me and was like i'm so sick of you like so why are you doing this to me but anyway all of this all of this was kind of academic to me do you know what i mean it was sort of happening over the there and we were over here and that was fine and it was one of the more kind of the moving moments of my career is we got back to England finally for the UK tour for the album and the first show was at the Manchester Academy which is 2,500 people and it was oh, sold yeah. out and that was cool and you know the first third of the set was playing songs from previous records and that was going well and everybody was having fun and then I started playing Recovery which was the first time we ever played it in the UK and I knew it had been on the radio but it was like I don't know, maybe this, this, you know how you structure a set list? It's like, well, better pad the new one out with some old favorites just so that people oh, don't lose attention too much or yeah. whatever. And so we'd kind of done that and we got to that song and I remember playing the opening chords and the fucking entire room was word perfect on the yeah. first verse. And I was just like, what the fuck? And then yeah. we got to the first drum fill and the room exploded like very few times I've ever seen in my life. Like people were just ricocheting off the walls, um, the whole room bouncing, whatever. And like me and Ben, my guitar player, kind of looked at each other and were just like, what the fuck is going on? And like, it was so magical. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, oh shit, this has kind of landed over here. And the next night we rewrote the set list and put it somewhere kind of more appropriate, should we say? I got goosebumps, man. And that, I, I love that story for a number of reasons. I mean, here you were in the interim. You're over in the States slogging it out. You're doing morning radio. You're, As you said, you're putting in the work. You're doing the 500-seat club in Lincoln, Nebraska on a Tuesday night. You know, you're, 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 you're dogging it out. 
you get back to your home turf. This song blew up in radio while you were gone, and then yeah. just you're and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I do this. I would put out a new song. You got to put the the hits around it, you know, because people are gonna take a yeah, piss yeah. break, go get a fucking beer, you know, and and <laughs> exactly. here here you launch into recovery, and I could see the place going berserk because it was at that point a hit. Yeah, and it was kind of the first time I'd ever really had like a radio hit in my life anyway, because like, I mean, I'd had some radio play before then, don't get me wrong, but it was like, that was my first like all the fucking time daytime radio show song that I ever had in my career. And it was just like, holy shit. It was kind of that thing, I'm sure sure you know what I'm talking about. We almost fucked the song up, do you know what I mean? Because we were like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Like, ha! Um, And and like, yeah, just kind of getting a bit freaked out by it. But it was was a magical moment. And like, the song will always have an extremely... um, special place in my heart for that reason yeah and i saw again i saw it on youtube you guys played like a tea in the park and just there's like sixty thousand people jumping in unison it's just such a such a great uh, great feeling so uh once again i just want to uh you know thank you for taking the time out uh for for, for being on the show and and breaking this down and and, and congratulations on all your success and continued thank success you, uh at, th- at this point is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with with any uh, uh future stuff um, going on with you and the sleeping souls are you yeah, solo got uh yeah um i've got a i've got we are working on a new record um i have a new drummer these days who's awesome and the new record's going to be pretty kind of aggressive would be the word like in your face punk rock record like um I, it's time do you know what i mean like to okay. do something kind of so some, something aggressive it'll be out sort of towards the end of next year but uh sorry not next year at the end of this year i should yes. say hopefully i mean obviously who the fuck knows right now but um and i miss the states like you wouldn't believe and i hope that you and i will share a beer again in the near future there must have been a moment just before you hit the water when you were filled with a sense of peace and understanding I hope you all enjoyed that little walk down memory lane with Frank Turner. Don't forget the Krista makes a podcast back catalog is stacked with amazing episodes with intriguing guests. So don't forget to scroll back through our archives. There might be an episode you missed or even one you want to revisit. Chris and I really appreciate you listening and we never take it for granted. And if you really can't get enough of the show, don't forget once again, ChrisDemakes.com is where you can join our supporting cast and get a huge back catalog of bonus episodes. Thanks, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.